So today we're uh, on American Conversations. Todd and I are joined with Dr. Christopher Cassells, who's a retired orthopedic surgeon from Delaware. And the importance of this uh, conversation with uh, Chris is because he not only lives in Delaware and knows of Joe Biden, but he also interacted with Dr. Fauci years ago when he was doing his residency at Yale. So um, Chris, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, give us some background so the audience understands your credentials. Okay. Um, I, uh, for the last, uh, I guess, 11 years, 12 years, I have been directing the Center for Health Policy at the Cesar Rodney Institute, which I began towards the end of my orthopedic surgical career, uh, simply because I was very interested in, in, uh, in health policy. And of course, the Affordable Care Act came along, which sort of jump-started that whole process. We're doing a lot of writing and lecturing. Um, I, I, my, my surgical career was chiefly centered uh, in orthopedics. Um, uh, I did uh, two years of general surgery at Yale University, uh, the medical center there called, called the Evan Haven Hospital, and then moved into orthopedics. But prior to that, when I was an undergraduate at Yale, I had uh, studied public health and epidemiology uh, at, at, uh, through the uh, through a seminar study um, uh, at the Yale School of Public Health, uh, which uh, was uh, very informative, and I, I learned quite a lot about it. I was also heavily influenced in the world of of uh, infectious diseases, epidemiology, and virology by Dr. Merle Sandy at the University of Virginia, who was there as a, uh, as a chief in the, uh, in the internal medicine department when I was a medical student. So it's sort of uh, long been a hobby of mine. Um, my older brother was very much involved in public health and epidemiology. He was a cardiologist by training, but he ended up uh, uh, being the assistant secretary of defense for health affairs uh, under Bob Gates. Uh, who was the Secretary of Defense, and he ran um, MHS, which is the military health system, uh, otherwise known as TRICARE. Uh, he oversaw the uh, tearing down of Walter Reed Hospital and the rebuilding of it and so forth and ran uh, about an $80 billion budget for the military health services. So um, it, it sort of go runs in the family that, uh, that we're interested in public policy and health. Uh, my brother did some very sentinel work uh, on both the Ebola virus and the uh, and the uh, um, swine flu, the avian flu, if you'll remember. Uh, and and that was some of the cardinal work on uh, trying to figure out how rapidly a virus could get around the world and how many people it could infect, particularly the uh, the you know the devastating pandemic of 1911, if you extrapolate those numbers and, and you realize how quickly uh, a highly infectious virus could travel with modern day air travel and how quickly something could spread out of a place like like Hong Kong and be around the world, you, you understand that that uh, billions of people could, could be um, killed relatively quickly. So when, when this broke loose uh, uh, 18 months ago, um, I was very interested in it. And I began to do a lot of uh, reading and writing uh, around the COVID-19. 
and quickly came to the conclusion that uh, this is mathematically not possible to have jumped from uh, the uh, the bat population to humans. It it, it just didn't. Uh, the the statistics of, uh, of the rate of mutation of these viruses simply don't allow that minuscule possibility mathematically. So obviously there was a great deal of incentive to sort of fuzzy up the data a little bit about how this how this thing got got started, and that really piqued my interest. And uh, so I've been I've been writing a lot, lecturing a lot over the uh, since pretty much March of 2020, and up to now I haven't had to retract anything I have. Uh, I have written um, in the very beginning. I uh, was famously on record as saying that masks don't work. They simply don't work. The reason we wear them as surgeons is to prevent our spittle that occurs when during conversation from entering the wound. In other words, we wear them to protect the patient uh, from our own speaking. Um, but they don't work in terms of uh, disease prevention. Social distancing does work. We know that, and uh, that is witnessed by the fact that the, the number of uh, victims of the flu over the past year and a half have been minuscule, and that, that's largely due to hand washing and social distancing. It has very little to do with masks. But uh, to me, when somebody says, uh, they lead off their conversation with, well, we know that masks work. I know I'm about to get fed you know, a load of crap. If they don't. Okay, so so how do you feel today, the day after President Biden has announced mandatory vaccines for people who have for the federal government, healthcare workers, uh, people who have employees of a hundred or more? What's your reaction to that? Well, um, first of all, it's it's against the spirit of the emergency use authorization law. Um, they, they're sort of just ignoring that law. You are not allowed uh, under that law to coerce anybody by any means into taking a vaccine. Well, this is clearly coercion. It, it, it clearly sets apart an, a great unwashed population uh, that uh, is ripe for prejudicial behavior. And, and uh, the, the, the law is very specific to prevent that, to protect people from that. You should not be forced to take an experimental vaccine. And I would add that even though the Pfizer vaccine has now been allowed to market itself as uh, a, uh, a, a drug, the EUA provisions are still in place. It is still under the emergency use authorization. What, what, provisions. What's your view of that, doctor? I mean, I understood that it was the BioNTech that was approved and not the Pfizer. Is that correct? Or do you know? Um, they're, they're sort of one and the same. But but it, the, the vaccine that Pfizer made uh, is the one that, that uh, the, the, the FDA sort of uh, gave a go, go ahead and advertise it. And they mm -hmm. renamed it. Uh, when they when they uh, but I thought the, the BioNTech version was not available in the US market. Is that correct or not? I do, I do not know that. Okay, I couldn't tell you that. I know that the, the lag has always been uh, the Moderna virus uh, is, uh, is is a while after the Pfizer vi virus. So uh, Pfizer vaccine. So we don't we don't have enough data on the Moderna yet 
to uh, lift some of the, the restrictions on it. And the, the Janssen's variety, which comes out of Johnson & Johnson, is even farther behind that. So we really, we really don't have a lot of good data on that. My overarching feeling, and I think I'm pretty much up to date on this, is that these vaccines have lost their get up and go. They, they all seem to peter out um, abruptly at around eight months post second dose. And, uh, and they are not nearly uh, as effective as natural immunity. In other words, the best possibility, uh, and it always has been, is herd immunity. You get, you get enough people who've had the disease that the virus really doesn't have anywhere to go uh, because there's just mm -hmm. simply too much natural immunoglobulin out there. It, it appears that the vaccines do not uh, stimulate as much of a T memory cell reaction, which is what, how you get uh, people who survived the 1911 flu uh, that's still, you know, here uh, 110 years later, still can be shown to have antibodies. They can mount an immune response quite quickly. You that's mean the 1918? You mean the 1918? Yeah, it, it, it spanned a, a number of years, but, uh, but uh, it, uh, the, the, that immunity still rests in people who are very, very old. Um, it's, it, and that's what, that's what you really need. Mm -hmm. um, so I Do wish you kind of wish, I mean, I'm, I'm at risk for, for the original COVID-19 strain. So um, after some, some consultation with some very famous neurologists and uh, some other doctors or friends of mine, I went ahead and got the Moderna vaccine um, uh, last year uh, um, uh, because I really didn't have a choice. Uh, uh, but I, I, I delayed it for a long time because there was some question of whether I might be susceptible to Guillain-Barre. I, I had a history of some post-viral neuropathy. Um, I totally understand people who do not want to get the vaccine. There are many, many reasons to not uh, uh, get the vaccine. Many of them are based on allergies. Many of them are based upon already having had exposure to COVID and built up a natural immunity. And then of course, there are the religious uh, exceptions to it, which are completely valid. The, while everybody, including uh, the, our Surgeon General says, oh, but we make exceptions in the rules for vaccination for those people, they really don't. They don't make exceptions for those people. And, uh, and they are subject to uh, being part, uh, uh, being treated as part of what I call the great unwashed. You mm -hmm. know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really, uh, I know that that's um, uh, a biblical term, but it's, it's kind of what's happening. We're, 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 you know, we're calling this unvaccinated population a whole lot of names that really don't make much sense uh, when you consider that most of the people that I know who are unvaccinated have given this a lot of thought and have really looked into it very, very carefully. They are not just Neanderthals out there who are, are unvaccinated because of a political stance. These are thoughtful, intelligent people who are doing their research. So to label them as such is, is really pretty awful. And, and, and of course, you know, the empty suit in the White House I don't think he's got any clue. I mean, I've known the man for upwards of 50 years. And uh, 
and uh, I've watched him in in decline of late, and uh, um, I find it very sad. But I don't think he really knows what he's talking about, and I don't think he's getting very good advice. So, do you think? What do you think about the, uh, in just the whole concept of informed consent? I mean, when you when you went to get your uh, you had done research and consulted with people, and you're right. in the in the profession. So you're more knowledgeable of understanding, even looking at a study right. or the information that is out there at that point in time. But when people go, they don't hear about the neurological injuries. We, we have established that there are neurological injuries that even yes. the FDA has not officially yes. acknowledged. Okay, Because we've interviewed people that are participating in those uh, studies and the treatments for it. And right. also being their doctors have been ignoring them because they don't they haven't had any directions from the CDC and the medical protocols. But when you have the, the, the man in the White House say that these are mandatory now, what's your reaction as a doctor who has studied this, who has been in the field in terms of, is he violating you know, informed consent? Yes, switching of, this? of course he is. But my advice to people who ask me, what can I do? I don't want to take the vaccine. I'm scared of it. Uh, I'm scared for my health, um, uh, but I don't want to lose my job. Mm -hmm. um, and it's my employer who's demanding that I that I take the vaccine. I have a standard uh, issue uh, informed consent statement that I give to them, and I tell them, you must demand of your employer then that they do informed consent. In other words, they must sit down with you and inform you honestly of all all of the known possible complications of this vaccine and every other vaccine. And if you demand that they perform a proper legal informed consent, but you do not refuse the vaccine, you simply say, I will take the vaccine if you do the proper informed consent. I guarantee you that the employer will not do the proper informed consent, at which point now the employee does not get the vaccine, but they cannot be fired. Well, the problem with that is that we know that the U.S. government knows on the federal level at NIH, FDA, CDC, they know of the neurological injuries and the employer may turn around and say, well, because the neurological injuries are not acknowledged by the FDA officially, they may not consider that necessary as part of the definition of informed consent. Well, because, because of the EUA and the fact that we do not have the long-term, you know, the long-term long results, long-term effects of the vaccine, there is absolutely no data about that. That flips you into a situation of needing to include in the informed consent all known complications of vaccines. You can't just because just because we don't know these yet, you have to put this in with all the other vaccines. And I guarantee you nobody is doing that. You're walking into the grocery store, pharmacy or whatever and they're saying sign here. And uh, that's the informed consent and then they're then they're jabbing you. It's not legal. It's simply not legal.
Should we should we hold the medical? I, um, you know, we've been we've done dozens of these interviews now with horrific injuries, paralysis, you know, tremors, um, just horrific stuff that people can't function as a human beings anymore. And the the medical establishment is going along with this, and in many cases they are ignoring them and telling them they have anxiety and you know when when her menstrual cycle is all screwed up i mean that's not anxiety right so are they being how do we hold them accountable it's like the military that's pushing crt at some point the medical professionals become accountable don't they yeah you would you would hope so um you know there are a couple of real heroes out there um who are as as i am disappointed in the medical community i mean you look at the absolutely heroic work that Dr. Peter McCullough is doing, mm -hmm. um, and he's he, like many of us, are simply condemning the failure to treat COVID prophylactically and early on in the disease. The emergency rooms across the country were effectively doing malpractice by sending COVID positive people home and telling them to do nothing until they got sicker or were having trouble breathing. When, when it was eminently known, I mean, it's been known a long, long time ago uh, about uh, hydroxychloroquine's uh, prophylactic effect and, and the effect uh, of early treatment with it. It's been, it's been widely known for well over a year of the antiviral effects of ivermectin. Um, the frontline uh, doctors, uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, have done a magnificent job of, of getting together a group of doctors who are uh, uh, treating people all over the country, but you gotta get plugged into them. You've gotta find them. By and so large, we, the medical community so has- How do we hold these people, how do we hold them accountable? Do we file lawsuits against who? I, yeah. I, I think uh, soon enough, you're going to see the lawyers swarm in and they're going to say- like big tobacco, right? It's the same concept. Yep. yep. The, the, the lawyers, a lot of money to be made here. There's a ton of money to be made here, um, uh, but there's there's a sort of a herd immunity, if you will, because mm -hmm. so many of the doctors are essentially uh, just trying to get along, go along, and they have been intimidated from actually treating the disease appropriately and early on. I, I should point out here, you know, when when people get on this thing about hydroxychloroquine, uh, uh, intravenous vitamin C therapy, vitamin D, uh, ivermectin, and so forth. Um, the, one of the reasons for the vilification of this is, is not political, it's pharmaceutical. The Emergency Use Authorization Act specifically says, we will let you bring this drug, the, the mRNA vaccines, to, uh, to the, the marketplace because there is no known uh, efficacious other treatment available. So the big pharma, including Merck, who for heaven's sakes, uh, you know, uh, uh, participated in the Nobel Prize for uh, ivermectin, mm -hmm. even Merck came out and said, oh, no, 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 we, we think it's dangerous. We don't we don't want, they needed for hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil and Ivermectin to be viewed as not effective or else the EUAs could not be issued. The EUAs 
had to have that, had to fulfill the requirement that there was no treatment out there for COVID-19. Except for the fact that they're if they're preventing it from, from being uh, used and if they're claiming that it doesn't use, I mean, just recently in the last couple of weeks, you know, ivermectin is now, everybody seems to think if you read the ivermectin stories that ivermectin is only used on horses and animals. When in fact yeah, yeah. it's been used on human beings to prevent blind, uh, river blindness, river blindness all over Africa for since it, I think the Nobel Prize was like 2015, something like that. Yeah, there just Maybe seems to be massive, massive class action lawsuits here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the, what they 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 started referring some time ago to the the African paradox, and uh, this the, this phrase came to into being because African Americans in the United States were dying. Their, their mortality rate from COVID-19 was twice that of, uh, of white citizens of the United States. Uh, let's talk and, about the profile. Chris, let's talk about the profile, the, the people that ended up in the hospital last year, because okay. when, when I've spoken privately to doctors, it's the obese, it was minorities, it's people with underlying diabetes, you know, C right. uh, COPD. There, there, there's, a, there's a bimodal population that is at very high risk for mortality. And we lumped them together in the beginning, uh, but we've been able to separate them out. The people over the age of 75 are clearly at higher risk. Uh, we know that. Okay. Um, people who are morbidly obese, who are young in the range of say 30 to 50, they are a separate risk category. But when I say morbidly obese, I'm talking BMIs of 40 or so and people 300, 350, 400 pounds. Now that population is singularly at risk. Those are the ones that go to the hospital, get put on the ventilator and pass away. Um, and then there's this other population of, of old people. In, in the older population, basically the, the span of life due to COVID-19 shortened the average length of life by 11 days. Well, you know, that doesn't sound like so much, but uh, and then, that's with the single exception of New York City and the surrounding counties where it was more like three months shortening uh, span of life on average. But it, these two populations are distinct in that the, the obese younger people who are very much at risk also tend to have uh, diabetes and hypertension. In addition to some of the things that morbid obesity does to your, your immune system, morbid, morbidly obese people uh, secrete a lot more tumor necrosis factor. Uh, what does that mean? Tell, tell us what that means. Okay, tumor like necrosis factor gets its name because certain cancers secrete this very active hormone called TNF. The other population of people who uh, secrete a lot of TNF are uh, the uh, autoimmune disease people, the rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and so forth. But it turns out that morbidly obese people, their fat cells start to secrete TNF, tumor necrosis factor. In other words, uh, one way of putting it is uh, that uh, uh, being fat causes you to hurt, causes pain. Uh, that's why rheumatoids and, and cancer patients get a lot of pain is largely because of this very active hormone called tumor necrosis factor. So uh, so that's, that's really what's going on with the younger at-risk population that are morbidly obese. But we, we could isolate those, those patients off, but certainly, certainly 
the rest of the population is is not particularly susceptible to the mortality numbers of COVID-19. Uh, so th that, that argues that widespread vaccination probably isn't really the best strategy uh, uh, unless you're looking at your, your big pharma stock portfolio. And then of course, it's a, a very good strategy. Um, we, we made the same mistake back uh, in the era of AIDS in that when, when I was a young surgeon, we knew who was getting AIDS. We knew that it was people uh, who, were, uh, who were homosexual men, IV drug abusers, and people from Haiti. That was the at-risk population. We knew it. And we knew that we should much more heavily test that population than the rest of the population because that's where the disease was coming from. And Dr. Fauci, who uh, uh, split off from Dr. Gallo at NIH and uh, pretty much founded the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, um, Dr. Fauci uh, immediately told us from the CDC, you are not allowed to test people randomly for HIV because you will be stigmatizing the gay population uh, uh, and the uh, um, uh, and the Haitian population and the IV drug abusing population. So we, as young doctors, were not allowed to pretest our surgical patients at that time. Uh, you couldn't come into the hospital unless you had a tuberculosis test, and you couldn't get married unless you were tested for syphilis and gonorrhea. So those were mandatory public health tests, but we weren't allowed to test for HIV. So we as doctors, we did a workaround. We demanded that all of our pre-surgical elective patients donate their own blood before the operation. And all donated blood was automatically tested for HIV. So that way we could identify the HIV positive patients and we could tell the operating room staff, you, get, you better be extra careful about needle sticks and scalpel cuts because this patient's hot. Because it was- so it was what, a kind of harm, what kind of harm did that policy do at the time? At, at that time, what that policy did was it forced HIV into the heterosexual female population, which was, they just, HIV did not exist in the heterosexual female population. It just didn't. It forced it into that population. Then it got into heterosexual men. It got into the prostitution area. It basically forced HIV from a completely controllable disease into an epidemic. So when Fauci, blame Fauci, you blame Fauci for that, and so I have blamed Fauci, Fauci my I blame Fauci my entire medical career, and my friends are sick and tired over the last 35, 40 years of me bitching about him. How many other doctors know, uh, can connect the dots on this? And how many other doctors <clears throat> understand that this may be a repeat of the AIDS policy that failed? Yeah, um, not many. Doctors uh, are by their very nature pleasers, Christine. They, they simply want to please people. It's, I think it's their nature. Um, and so they tend to, to get along, go along. If a if a pronouncement comes down from on high from the hallowed halls of the CDC, they they pretty much willingly follow it. 
Um, doctors are generally not free thinkers. Um, Could, couldn't that be another point of attack in this uh, collusion between the U.S. government and the medical community to not treat some of these patients and to avoid their, I mean, couldn't that be, uh, I mean, holding or, or shining a light on these physicians who are, for whatever reason, not doing what's right by the patient and ignoring this stuff? Yeah. Um, or is that not really? I hope, that's, I hope that's what, that's one of the reasons I reached out to Christine Dolan because, uh, mm -hmm. because I, I hope that light will get shown on. I find um, uh, a lot of this, whole episode of COVID-19 to be, be uh, well, let me, let me rephrase that. If I wanted to create a disease that specifically targeted weak old people who were expensive to the system and specifically targeted young obese people who are very expensive to the health system, and I threw in there some minorities that I wanted to target to, I could not have invented a better weapon than COVID-19. So you think this is consciously designed possibly, I mean, through your scientific no, I, I think it's a hell of a coincidence. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I, no, I, I would not accuse, I think, I think it's a designed virus and I think it, came out of a sloppy lab um, to date. Now you, we, we constantly, we constantly monitor approximately 1,400 species of bats for their various and sundry viruses. Uh, they're, they're monitored all the time. There has not yet been a single bat with COVID-19, not one case. You now mean that, the studies that have happened since the world broken. worldwide, no no bat has ever been found with COVID nineteen. It just so hasn't you're leaning, Are you leaning more, Chris, towards uh, something happening in the lab? Yeah, the lab the lab mathematically created it. They inserted a series of of genes, and in, in in one case, three negatively charged amino acids in a row. That's not found in nature. You never see that. You can see two negatively charged or two positive, uh, positively charged amino acids in a gene sequence, but you never see three. This the spike protein gene has three sequential negatively charged amino acids. It's not mathematically possible. This was designed, and I think it was probably uh, giving, you know. Given the circumstances, I think this was probably a designed virus that was being used such that a treatment for it could then be invented in case somebody ever used it as a bioweapon. So I think there were probably some good intentions here, but I'm, I'm quite convinced that it's man-made. Um, I've seen no evidence to suggest it wasn't man-made, uh, none at all. Um, and I think it, it escaped the lab. What's the agenda behind the vaccine push for kids and everything else? Uh, that's just is money. Is it money? That's is just it, money. Is it something worse? I don't think it's something mm -hmm. worse. I mean, that you, you, you hear a lot of things, but I think it's just money. Money is so obvious. I mean, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. always what it comes down to. It's always the money. I mean, this is a... 
the each each release of the vaccine uh, is a ten billion dollar cash register hit for those companies, and now they're talking about uh, a booster shot every six to eight months, and uh, and there are a couple of pills in the pipeline that they want you to take two pills a day for God knows how long. So this well, that's is to combat that's to combat the vaccine injuries, right, or the possible. Or I, effect I, of the I just, you know, I've just heard rumors about it. I'm not, I, uh, you know, the, the vaccines do produce uh, the spike protein, and the spike mm -hmm. protein is in and of itself harmful. Yes, it's particularly harmful to the myocardium, uh, the pericardium, the, the around the heart. It's particularly harmful to lung basement membranes, and it's particularly harmful to the ovaries. So. Um, you're producing a spike protein in order to stimulate an immune response to that spike protein, but the protein itself is harmful. There, there's something very wrong with that logic. There's also something horribly wrong with the logic of giving a vaccine to pregnant women. That has never, ever been done. That violates one of the, of the cardinal rules of, uh, of epidemiology and vaccinology and virology. You don't do it. You just don't well, do it. That couldn't be that big of a monetary hit or positive hit. It just seems like there's something else with that. Well, I, I think it's uh, it's just... Well, I mean, pregnant women in general, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, there, there, there have been a lot of, there are a lot, a lot of stories in the, in the you know, vaccine, uh, uh, the VAERS reports of... Uh, of early uh, spontaneous abortions and things like that. It's been, the, 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 the vaccine is not good for, for pregnant women. How long do you think um, the vaccine negative effects would last? You know, let's say you had two, two hits of Pfizer and, and you, maybe you had a reaction, maybe you had myocarditis or whatever it's called. And the long you, COVID. Yeah, well, I mean, from the vaccine, I mean, how long will, will you have, I know you can't tell for sure, but do you think, the body, uh, I've been told the body kind of destroys that mRNA over time, or does it stay yeah. with you for well, a long time? The, the body doesn't destroy it. What happens is the cells time out, the cells die. Hmm. And, and so, uh, but the cell is permanently changed into, uh, uh, you know, a little spike protein factory. And so it's just a matter of how fast those cells die out. Now, uh, what happens, say, if uh, a cancer cell, that doesn't die out. A cancer cell starts producing a spike protein. I, nobody knows. Literally, yeah. nobody knows. But at this point, if you if you sort of extrapolate from the efficacy of the vaccines petering out after eight months, you you kind of think probably about eight months of uh, of side effects from the vaccines would would be expected. Um, but, uh, but nobody knows. Yeah. So sitting here, listening to what you're saying, Chris is very depressing. Cause basically what you're saying is that the medical pharmaceutical industries, uh, and under the leadership of Joe Biden is corrupt as hell because they're pushing forward with something. Nobody has any answers to nobody understands. Nobody knows the origin of nobody knows the long-term effects of the vaccines. How did the medical profession in bed with tech doing the censorship? And in well, bed with the, this administration pushing something that has the possibility of creating more harm to people under the under the guise 
<clears throat> pardon me, of medicine. Yeah, it's it's very disappointing, Christine. It really is. I, I just got notice um, from my brother-in-law uh, and, and uh, my sister-in-law in, in the Outer Banks where they, uh, uh, there's been this effectively no COVID on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's remarkable, but there's been, really been none. And they never, they never have been vaccinated and they're very informed people. And uh, they, they take hydroxychloroquine twice a week uh, and uh, they're not going to get vaccinated. They're fearful of it. Um, uh, and uh, they were, uh, they, they, they have a large family in North Carolina they just got a call from my brother-in-law's sister informing them that they are not, they have been disinvited from the family Thanksgiving gathering, which they do every year, because uh, two of the brothers in the family are physicians and they will not allow their unvaccinated brother and sister-in-law to come to the family reunion. So really, you're thinking about that way, but all these people have been vaccinated, why are they scared of their brother who's elected not to be vaccinated. And the only thing I can come up with is that they have been targeted. They've been tagged as the great unwashed. You know, they're well, the that's because you, what you hear on mainstream media is that the cause of the uptake in COVID cases or hospitalizations uh, at this point in time is because of people who are unvaccinated. Joe Biden has said that. It's actually the opposite, right? And it's the it, opposite. It is, it is the opposite. The, the vast majority of hospitaliza hospitalizations for COVID are within the vaccinated population, not the unvaccinated. And the overwhelming majority of children in, in pediatric intensive care unit beds do not have COVID. They have respiratory syncytial virus, RSV. What is that? What is that, that is that is a very highly contagious virus that runs through children's populations when the kids go back to school. And so this so, is a historical fact. This, this is, is an historical fact, and it is true. There's a lot of kids in ICUs, in pediatric ICUs around the country. But if you break it down, it's not the COVID that's making them sick. It's the RSV, which they get over. But but they they very often need some pulmonary hygiene and uh, wouldn't be surprised if the if the ones that are fighting childhood leukemia or something like that have to go on a ventilator or something like that 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 does happen. Um, but uh, but my my sources tell me that there is a big time outbreak of RSV this year from the kids going back to school. Most of these kids haven't been in school for over a year. Mm -hmm. So, so they are they are now. You know, we get we get these outbreaks of meningitis on college campuses all the time. It always happens when you bring in kids from all over the country and you put them all in the same dormitory, and one of them brings in a meningitis thing. And every year, college college kids there's a little outbreak of uh, of these highly infectious diseases, and this is what's happening with the with the, the pediatric population now with this RSV. Disease. They they they've been out uh, incubating various viruses. They they haven't had the collective immunity that you get. You know, whenever you send your uh, child off to even to daycare, they they always come back with a with a you know sniffly nose. It's just it's part and parcel of sending to kids to school. But if you isolate them off for a year or more, and then bring them back together, you're gonna you're gonna see these outbreaks.
of, of more virulent strains. So what needs to happen? I mean, do more doctors need to speak up? Do people need to ask for the resignations of, 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 of Fauci, Francis Collins, Janet, everybody who's head of these, these government agencies? Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a very disappointing thing that's happened. I I, I don't know um, how much of it is calculated and how much of it is just people drinking the Kool-Aid um, and, and trying to get along, go along, uh, swimming downstream. I really, I don't have a good read for that, but, but I think, you know, eventually the truth comes out and people begin to, to realize things. They, they, uh, um, have, but Lord, how, how long did we have to live through the Russian hoax? You know, <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who still believe in the Russia, Russia hoax. But uh, but uh, I, I think the legal the legal side is the way forward with the medical community. We, I, I mean, they're scared of legal issues, right? I think I mean, we really need to right. I think that's what has to happen is there has to be one big lawsuit where where uh, uh, malevolence uh, is is strongly implied. Uh, and and then then all the other lawyers jump on the bandwagon and and start uh, running around yeah. calling calling the treatment the, the lack of treatment uh, by protocol to be malpractice. Did they know inside? I mean, when when everybody was dishing uh, Dora Clark's decline and and also the the what was the other one? It was uh, I, uh, ivermectin. Yeah. Those people know when they when they were basically slamming those that, in fact, they were working at the time. And if so, where's the evidence for that within those agencies? Uh, you know I, where it is. Um, and this is something that uh, I, I, I love to uh, reference my, my friend, Dr. Marion Mass, because uh, she has been slamming the, uh, uh, the pharmacy benefit managers for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you my experience with it. Last uh, a, a year ago, I guess it was late April, early May. We were we were past the peak of the COVID deaths, which was the week of April 11th, and it was a little bit after that when I became very convinced that hydroxychloroquine, in a prophylactic level, uh, was uh, was the way to go, and it was our, our largely based on the population of people, uh, of, of missionary peoples who were all taking hydroxychloroquine and there was no outbreak of COVID in that population, none of it. Right, right. And, as, and, and we, knew, we knew that there was, even though uh, uh, lupus is a rather severe immune, immunocompromising um, disease, none of the lupus patients were getting COVID, none of them. And, uh, well, they're all on Plaquenil, all on hydroxychloroquine. So I went to the pharmacy down here, and it was a CVS pharmacy, a big pharmacy. And uh, I took out my prescription pad, and I wrote a uh, prescription for hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams, uh, uh, in my own name. Uh, and uh, I was just going to keep the bottle around, take it twice a week. And the pharmacist saw the script and started screaming at me. I'm not filling this prescription. I'm not allowed to 
fill this prescription. I can't even get my hands on this medication. And you as a doctor have no business writing yourself a prescription for this. This is dangerous medicine. The word had come down from, from the word had come down through CVS to all the pharmacists and pharmacists are employed by CVS. Right. The word had come down to not fill prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine. And never in my life has somebody told me I couldn't write a prescription for myself. You know, I've been taking. My I, I, had the, I had the same thing when I had COVID um, trying to get HCQ and they, well, CVS I, wouldn't fill it. Not for COVID. Well, I, I, I uh, wrote a prescription for my other sister-in-law uh, who's here in West Palm. And I put the diagnosis down for lupus on the prescription pad. And she filled a big bottle of hydroxychloroquine, and uh, and we all shared it. So uh, I mean, I I couldn't at the time. Uh, I was I was at risk. I'm overweight, and I'm 68 years old, and I uh, was at risk. So uh, for the last year and some, I take two pills a week, you know. But uh, but what does that what does that tell you from the legal perspective in the medical community when we go back and talk about the the reason why emergency use act has been allowed to run rampant now is I because think, if I you don't have an alternative, have... then it can be you know unleashed. But well, you could you could not get EUA authorization for any of the vaccines if in fact it were acknowledged that hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment or effective prophylaxis. It, it, you wouldn't meet the criteria necessary for EUA. So they, they needed they needed those drugs to be uh, uh, to be blackballed, if you will. That's fraud. It may, it may, it may be, you know, criminal fraud. I mean, criminal negligence. It, it's certainly malpractice, in my opinion. How many other doctors know that? Very few. Very few. Because when I, uh, when I, when I mentioned... When I Are use they robots, Chris, to the CDC? No, you know, you'd be surprised how much medical information that doctors get from pharmaceutical reps that come to their office with lunch. They bring them lunch, they bring them little trinkets, uh, they bring them samples of medicine, and then they get a little FaceTime with a doctor, and then they spoon feed them information that very often is not accurate information. It's industry uh, information, but that's the that's the source of a lot of inf of of sort of continuing medical education that, that doctors get is these beautiful girls. They're always there's all, they're always beautiful girls. They mm -hmm. they come to your office and they they come with a you know a, a whole big uh, big bag of Panera sandwiches and. All the rest of it, and they, all they need is just a little FaceTime with the doctor, and uh, that's, that's. We have had our sights on the pharmaceutical salespeople now since the beginning of January, and I'm not letting up because I know inside the pharmaceutical sales, it's not just a knock on the door. They have to have their research, they have to have the analysis, they have to have the, what they the unknowns of the uh, injuries that are out there, and I know for a fact that some people are terrified inside these pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, well, uh, what, look at the Theranos uh, trial mm -hmm. starting up, you know. Right. Uh, that's, that's been long in the making.
Mm-hmm. And, and course, also he, the Sacklers. What happened inside yep, Sacklers? Exactly. Yep. That's right. That's right. And this is not the first the first rodeo for any of this, uh, you know, to be happening challenging. I think the thing that is overwhelming people is we're being told as Americans, we can't challenge authority. That is yep. about as un-American as it, as it gets. Well, you, you it doesn't take, uh, you know, too many sort of uh, small, petty million-dollar payoffs in, in order to garner a, a $10 billion profit. It just, That's I mean, true. you look at the, look at the leverage that the, that the pharmaceutical industry has on, uh, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll tell you a little story about a, a close friend of, uh, of Joe Biden's, um, who's also a good friend of mine. His name in this country is John. Uh, mm-hmm. His name in the Ukraine is Ivan. And uh, Ivan has, uh, has given uh, many, many large gifts to the Biden family over the years. Uh, bought uh, Frank Biden's mortgage for him, he, uh, a lot of whatever. But uh, Ivan, uh, uh, Ivan, who was Ukrainian born, uh, but American raised, got um, the, the rights um, in this country uh, for all of the Ford motor dealerships for all of the Ukraine. Now that includes Ford, Land Rover, Mazda, Jaguar. Uh, there, there are about six different things, and he and he runs this gigantic place in uh, in the Ukraine called basically called Auto World. Um, he, uh, he he sort of had made a few hundred thousand dollar campaign donations and got a sixty million dollar grant from the United States government to put the Ford dealerships in the Ukraine. Well, that's a pretty good return on your investment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He also uh, um, got Hunter Biden a, a little bit of a job over there in the in the Ukraine. So, so Ivan Ivan has done very well for himself. Tell but us about that, what you that, know about Joe Biden and, and the, his reputation, because we've talked about this privately about about Joe Biden's reputation going back through the years, because you've lived in the same neighborhood where he has lived. Well, I mean, he's. Um, if you want my opinion, I, I've known him a long, long time and been his neighbor for 35, 40 years. But, uh, but I, I think he's a, a classic bully. He was a bully back in high school. He's a bully now. And, and he does not treat his enemies well. Um, uh, and I, uh, I fully expect uh, um, he's not going to be pleased with me over, over any of this interview. But uh, uh I don't. I don't like the man much. I. I've never respected what he did on the uh, Senate Armed Forces Committee. I never respected when he was when he was head of the uh, Senate uh, um, Judiciary. His behavior was atrocious. When uh, when he was, uh, oh, oh gosh, what was the other one? He said he was a banking um, uh, Democrat on the uh, um, uh, Senate Banking Committee. And uh, while chairman of that committee, he allowed the credit card company MBNA uh, the the privilege of uh, being able to charge 27% per year interest rates on their credit cards, uh, which was just, I mean, up until then, 18% was thought to be outrageous. But no, Joe put it through for his friends at MBNA, and then he sold his house to, uh, uh, to the 
one of the executive VPs of MBNA for about twice as much as what it was worth. So, you know, I've never had much respect for him, but in the last few weeks, that respect has gone considerably down over recent events. Um, and I think we're getting into now kind of a wag the dog situation. A lot of the stuff from the, the vaccine yesterday, I think, is simply because his popularity is so in the tank over what happened in Afghanistan. But uh, I feel a little bit sorry for him uh, in, in that he he kind of could have, you know, stayed in his basement and probably have left public life with uh, a false but nevertheless positive legacy behind him. Right. And, and now he's now he's kind of been exposed for what he really is. And that's a terrible thing to happen to anybody. I mean, he could have just lived out the myth, but he didn't. What about the rest of the family? I, I oh, go ahead. Um, well, I'm glad it's not my family. They're, they're, they're kind of trouble. I mean, we don't we don't hear much about the uh, the arrest record of his daughter. Uh, we know we know a lot about the. The trouble is one son's in the the son who passed away from a glioblastoma multiforma, Bo Biden was uh, uh, he was a pretty good guy really by by most people's measure. He did he did serve a, a short tour in the military and he was a pretty good guy. He wasn't a very good attorney general in Delaware. Um, he uh, he managed to cover up a pretty bad pedophile case of a pediatrician named Earl Bradley, but. Uh, but he made amends for it and set up uh, on his passing a, a fund to help children um, and to protect them from pedophilia. But he kind of blew the the early prosecution and allowed this guy Bradley to to keep doing what he was doing to kids. It's it's a it's a, the whole thing's a pretty ugly ugly thing. But uh, you know the their, their dad has been in a position of power. He's been able to get get the charges dropped on every arrest that's happened. Uh, the, there's one hysterically funny arrest in uh, in New York City where his daughter beat the crap out of her roommate while she was drunk and high on cocaine. And that just got swept under the rug. Nobody knows about it. Most what, of about the, what about the rumors of Joe running nude in the buff in the backyard in Delaware? Oh, that, 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 yeah, that's been around forever and ever and ever. The, the Secret Service complained about it. Everybody complains about it. Uh, my one of my uh, partners in orthopedics um, uh, used to have to call up and tell him to, you know, tell him to put his clothes on. <laughs> it's 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 part of what makes him lovable. Christine is that is he's he's so quirky. You know, uh, it's uh, it's just just how it is. But anyway, Todd, you had something to ask. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I don't think Joe, I think Joe's just being told what to do and somebody else is running this whole thing. I, I, um, I completely agree with you. He's, he, he is the perfect Manchurian candidate, the empty suit. I, I really don't think he's even cognizant. My experience with Joe is that, is that he, it's, it's not that he lies. He doesn't lie. He has been completely surrounded for 45 years with sycophants so that whenever he said something, nobody ever disagreed with him. So he's come to believe that if he says it, it must be true. But he says things all the time that are just not true. 
they're and he it just makes stuff up about his his background, his education, is this that. But I think if your whole life you're surrounded by yes people, um, you, you begin to lose a little bit of self awareness of when you're when you're making stuff up. Well, we were involved in outing a lot of the corruption in Ukraine with the Bidens early, and um, you know with Burisma and all that stuff, and then with what he's the money that came out of China. And I just think that this whole, you know, I find the push for vaccines to be just too much just for money. I think maybe it leads to some kind of social credit score with CCP style or something that he's involved with. Um, you know, the agenda is really hard to discern. I think, um, I think that the whole COVID thing and vaccines and I lump them all together. I think they are but one part of of a much grander uh, globalist yes. uh, push. Uh, and I really, I really do believe that. The more I get educated about it, the more I look at it. Uh, the 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 recent letter that uh, was forwarded to me from, I believe his name is Vasily. He's an archbishop in Italy who's in hiding. The his documentation of what has transpired in the Catholic Church since 1950 is is really, really unnerving. And it goes to the, the infiltration with the Freemasons and it goes to the the uh, the globalist movement and uh, uh, Klaus Schwab and uh, the whole thing. It's it's really I, I, I think COVID and the vaccines just seem to fit very nicely into that whole thing. And I am I am a, a, a huge skeptic, always have been. Um, but at some point or another, you know, if it's got webbed feet and it's got feathers and it's quacking, <laughs> it's probably a duck. Yeah. You yeah. know? Well, we're yeah, going to stay on that story, Chris, and, and thank you for sharing with us today. And we want to continue our conversations with you as this unfolds because it's important to, um, you know, give voice to doctors who are, even if they're retired, who are in the field, who are staying with us, because I think doctors' voices have have to be louder than they are today. Well, that's uh, that's what consumes the, the work I do for the Caesar Rodney Institute is really what consumes uh, my retirement now between that and grandchildren, since I I no longer actually practice medicine, but uh, I'm, I'm out there trying. And boy, uh, I'm very thankful to my friend uh, Cecile Denazi for making the introduction to you, Christine, because uh, you have you have the megaphone, you have the voice, and that, that that's that's what we need.